2020, the year in reflection. Today we'll talk about coronavirus, the dissipation of the time construct, racial equality, and the election. Yes, we're going to go there too, just briefly. This new normal we're living in, in the solstice, what can we look forward to in 2021? Welcome to the Be Conscious Podcast, the show that brings you enlightened perspectives on the frequency of money, life's many challenges, and those heavy feelings that may be holding you back from living your best life. And now your host, Dr. Susan Nicholas. I'm not sure that anything solidifies 2020 in our minds more than COVID-19 the pandemic. If you think back to the beginning of the year, before we really knew what COVID was or were having experiences of it on a global scale, does anybody remember back at the end of January of 2020, maybe the beginning of February, particularly if you have children, that many of our kids got sick. We thought they had the flu. And there were so many absences in the schools in the United States that many of the school districts closed. I remember at that time I was in Dallas on a consulting project and my son was in school in Atlanta and he was out of school. And I listened to the news and they were closing the Dallas schools and other large inner city schools because of what we thought was the flu. When I looked back on 2020, I thought about that time. I thought about it very deeply. I have wondered if that illness that our children experienced in late January, early February, was actually protective to them against the coronavirus. Because, you know, I, I thought about if we lost our children in the numbers that we have lost other adults in the COVID pandemic, as a human society, could we have taken that? Could we have accepted that and, and experienced that? And I'm not sure that we could have. Now, prior to COVID, I was traveling very heavily. I do consulting work in healthcare. I'm also an international speaker. And at the end of February, going into March, I was on a pretty hectic schedule. I was in Dallas, and then I was in New York, then I was in Paris, and then I was in Cairo. And I was in Cairo at the beginning of March for a speaking engagement that I had booked several months prior. And I fell ill when I got into Cairo. I had this fever, this congestion, um, more like a nasal upper respiratory congestion, but I was so exhausted and tired. And I thought it was from the travel. I wasn't making any connections about this coronavirus. I'd heard about it, but it was really not on my radar. And I thought, oh, this is just fatigue. And I got over it within 48 hours. It felt like like a little cold or something. But I just remember not feeling well when I arrived in Cairo, but felt better and was able to do my talk and did everything I needed to do within 48 hours. And ever since I've been well, I have not succumb to any of the symptoms of corona. I've been tested multiple times. I've been negative and negative and negative. 
and I have felt extraordinarily well during this year. And so I thought about those early illnesses, and I wondered if somehow they were protective. And for whatever reason, I cannot say why I could have been protected, for example, or any other people that experience something similar, or kids. Uh, but, but what makes a difference, I would say, between me and someone else that wasn't as fortunate and had succumbed to this illness. But I wondered if there's something to it, like there's something in the universe, there's something more to this than we can comprehend or understand, more than meets the eye. There's something to this. And one thing that I've decided to do consciously was really to honor this virus, you know, honor it as a living entity. And it's a virus. It's a living thing. And just like any living thing, it wants to live. It, it, it doesn't want to be eradicated. It doesn't want to be ignored. Inherent in its being inherent in its existence, it wants us to change in certain ways because we are its host. It wants to live with us, in us. And uh, in order to do that, it cannot kill all of us. You know, we talk about virulence in viruses and medicine and science. But a virus, it can't be too virulent where it kills off all of its hosts because then it it ceases to exist. So however this COVID-19 got to us, whatever you may have heard or believe, it is here and is with us and we are its host. So how are we learning to live with it? So I'm going to talk a little bit about viruses. I'm not going to get too technical, but I think it will help to frame perhaps how we think and perceive this virus. So COVID, it belongs to this SARS COVID-2, like this coronavirus family. They're large RNA viruses that infect many animal species. And there are six other known coronaviruses that affect humans. You've heard of Mars and SARS and things like that. And again, I don't want to get too technical, but let's look at a few basics about RNA viruses so we can better understand this virus that has taken hold in us. So RNA, RNA, is an abbreviation for ribonucleic acid. Most of us have heard of DNA, which is deoxyribonucleic acid. But this corona family of viruses, they are RNA viruses. And why does being an RNA virus make a difference? Well, to start, RNA viruses are typically single-stranded, opposed to what we understand about DNA, which is double-stranded. And those DNA viruses are typically double-stranded. But what does this mean in practicality, single-strand versus double-strand? Well, firstly, a DNA virus, a double-stranded virus, uses something called DNA polymerase. That's what it uses to replicate itself. And this DNA polymerase, it has a superior proofreading ability uh, to replicating, so the virus is more stable, if you will. But when you compare it to an RNA virus, that RNA polymerase, it lacks the proofreading ability. Therefore, there are more mistakes, if you will. Maybe they're not mistakes, but more mutations when it replicates. And this high mutability, it makes creating a vaccine a little more challenging. It's like the virus is a targeted fugitive. It's constantly changing its identity to survive. So basically, RNA viruses generally have higher mutation rates when compared to DNA viruses. 
And so what does this mean for us? You know, the vaccine, our immunity, protection. Could this corona look like influenza? You know, the one that has multiple strains that we get seasonal immunizations for. I think we're going to have to stay tuned and, and learn a little bit more about this. But I, I would like to offer, given that we understand that it's an RNA virus, that it's highly mutable, we've already seen mutations come up and new strains of it and new waves of it. Let us not see it a vaccine as a false sense of security. And that's true for any RNA virus, anything that we are used to. But this one we're not quite used to yet. But let us, you know, it, it takes time to have retrospective studies to look back and see how this is working, how this virus is mutating, what, how can we predict forward with it. And this will really help us to understand if we can develop immunity to it. And you've probably heard the phrase herd immunity, H-E-R-D, herd immunity. And that is when enough people are exposed to the virus, that they've created antibodies, that they have these memory T cells, that they can fight the virus. So if there's a new person that, you know, becomes infected, that I won't be infected because I have immunity. I can be around other people that may have the virus, but be well in myself because I've seen the virus and I've created antibodies and memory T cells in response to it. But what we're finding early on, and everything is very early because we've, we've really only seen this virus for you know 12 months or so, is that we, we haven't developed herd immunity. Uh, some studies show 5% of us are seroconverting, that we have immunity to it. And we understand historically from looking at other viruses that depending on the virulence or, you know, pretending on how strong this virus is, we will need 50 to upwards of 90% of the population, you know, to have immunity. And right now we're seeing about 5%. And then we're also looking at the length of time that you're covered. Like how long do the antibodies stay in the system and fight when they see this coronavirus? And right now we're seeing about three to four months, uh, the early studies are showing. So not even a, a full season, if you will, um, a flu season or a cold season or a winter season, um, and certainly not a year. And so, you know, we're likely to see this virus mutate in an effort to control it in the population. We'll also see the vaccine change. We're really going to have to stay tuned. We don't no one has all of the information. We just don't have all of the information. And in offering these perspectives and this, you know, bit of science, this little bit of look into what an RNA virus is, it's really to educate and to help you to look at it from a, not only a scientific perspective, but more conscious perspective. And what has this shown us? It's shown us a lot about cleanliness and, you know, the quarantine, about being close and who we're associating with that we're all responding to this in very different ways. We are investigating how and why that is. It's not fully understood. But we do know that this has affected our homes and work, our lives. We've lost businesses. Many people have lost their homes or, you know, thank goodness there's a moratorium on evictions. I think we'd see a lot more of that, of loss of, of homes and homelessness. 
We've lost titles and friendships and workships. Relationships have been strained in this pandemic. We haven't been able to see close family members hug our grandparents and so forth. It's redefining how we work. We're becoming a little more cognizant of what is required to do our jobs. Do we really need to be in an office? Do we really need to commute? Some of us would like to, you know, we feel like we can't concentrate or get our work done with family around. But some of us are realizing that maybe to effectively do your job, you you know, we don't have to go anywhere. We can do it right from home. And, you know, maybe we'll develop a new kind of fatigue, you know, from Zoom and computers, just like we fatigue the commute and going into the office and getting up every day and dressing in a suit or whatever you were going to work in. And I think another thing to think about in this virus is, you know, what's the other shoe that falls? You know, there's been a huge shoe that falls with the, the great uh, diversity of loss that we've experienced, the grief that we are having. But what about the commercial real estate market? You know, all the shuttered businesses. I wonder if we're going to see another economic shift uh, where we realize we don't need to occupy so much office space. And what happens to that, that empty space? You know, we're all entering a new normal, and we don't really know exactly what the new normal is in its entirety, but we know that we're called to be more hygienic, you know, cleanliness, washing our hands, uh, keeping ourselves clean, our environments clean, our surfaces clean, you know, there are some things that I think we'll all be happy that stays, like, you know, not selling that middle airline seat. Personally, I'd be perfectly fine if that never came back. But what I do hope comes back is our humanity, our interactions, holding hands, embracing, shaking hands. I hope in this new normal, we do not fear one another, continue to have fear of one another, that we can come back together in a physical way and have communion with one another. How many times have you asked yourself, what day is it? And found yourself rather confused in the ensuing moments. I know I just said that the other day. Now, I love contemplating the existence of time. And as you might imagine, you know, the time construct, talking about time is a much larger conversation. But I'm going to leave you with this. Time as we understand it is a construct of perception. Some will argue it is the fourth dimensional aspect of our earthly existence. Now, I often wondered that if the time construct is so real, if time is so real, why must we constantly be reminded of it? Why does the quality of some minutes differ from that of others? When we are experiencing high-frequency emotions like love and passion, the minutes disappear without notice freely detached in their permanence. While those same minutes and instances of great anticipation, discomfort, or pain are unhurried in their passing, personifying the deafness of an eternity. Now, I am more than happy to talk about time or the absence thereof in future episodes, so please leave me a comment and let me know if you're interested in a deeper discussion about the time construct. Like what you're hearing so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. How would you describe your relationship with money? 
Did you ever imagine that your deepest feelings and beliefs about money could be preventing you from acquiring all the wealth that you desire? Click the link below in the show notes to learn more about Dr. Nicholas's highly sought-after Frequency of Money program to positively transform your relationship with money. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now, back to the show. I'd like to speak a little bit about the demand for ethnic and racial equality that we are again experiencing on the planet. It's 2020, and it's long overdue. In the English language, we define race as a traditional division of mankind, of humankind, an arbitrary classification of modern people based on skin color, eye shape, or facial structure. We have further adapted the definition of race to include regions of the world one hails from, ancestral origin, and native language. You see, we have chosen whatever is convenient to divide and label the life energy having a human experience on Earth. These divisions act as blinders so that we can no longer see what is most important about a person. The arbitrary divisions lend to our forgetting about our oneness and that we are all connected. Why do we feel the need to divide ourselves? In the most important ways, we are all the same. We are all energetic beings who have descended into the dense frequency of Earth to mature our eternal souls. Before the energy body or the soul of us is assigned to a physical existence, it makes an agreement of sorts on the other side of the veil to forget its totality of being in order to experience, to fully experience embodied life. Have you noticed that when we are babies, when our life energy enters the body, we do not have awareness of our eye shape, skin color, or facial structure? We are simply happy to be having a human life and experience to be living. It takes conditioning of the mind to develop judgmental awareness of the physical self. It is sanctioned conceit that exalts one physical attribute while disparaging another. Thinking that one person is better than another person, it's a deception that gives credence to the race construct. America is going through a spiritual awakening of its own right now, particularly in regard to racial inequality. But every nation has to work to elevate its frequency in this area, all of us. Know that every being is tasked with evolving spiritually while embodied to achieve some level of cosmic equilibrium, a soulful equilibrium. We all have this in common. The concept of race is elementary and has no real consistent basis. There's yet another human construct, like the time construct we spoke about. But this one has no real value or true meaning. Racism comes from forgetting our higher selves and having amnesia about our past, who we've been. I sometimes wonder, why can we accept all animal species as they are? but not the human species in its entirety. Animals are revered as a source of wonder and are protected for the betterment of life on Earth. Some animals, insects, plants exist to the detriment of humans, biting or stinging or even poisoning us. They spread disease and can cause death to our physical bodies. Yet we see the value of allowing 
all creatures to exist. We recognize that every being, every living being on earth has a place in the ecosystem and that the loss or marginalization of one species is of detriment to the whole. The diversity of the plant and animal kingdoms are both accepted and respected. Can we not manage to do the same for the diversity of human life? I ask you, is a polar bear more magnificent than a panda bear? Is a chocolate Labrador somehow inferior to a yellow Labrador? Why do we respect the splendid diversity of animal species only to marginalize diverse groups within our own species? Why must we cling to silly excuses to demote the life experience of one being while exalting another simply for its physical appearance? We can feel hate when we are disconnected from the source energy of all, from God, if that term resonates more closely with you. Hating another being for no reason than their appearance is ultimately hating yourself, as we are all connected to the same source energy. If you have ever looked at another individual and had an immediate feeling of dislike, you are simply seeing a mirror reflecting you to yourself. Ask yourself what is honestly bothering you about the existence of another human being. Close introspection will find that the problem isn't with the other being, but the discord likely lies within you. Releasing a dense energy that provokes hate in you can be accomplished by suspending judgment for just a moment and communicating with another being. Say hello or good morning, good evening. When you offer a simple act of kindness to show respect for another being, notice that that hate feeling, that uncomfortable feeling begins to transform immediately. If previously you thought that someone who looked a certain way could not be trusted, for example, transmute this belief with a kind greeting and address the negative thoughts by telling yourself something like, hmm, maybe I was wrong about this person, or maybe this person is suffering or in pain in some way. Maybe they don't believe in themselves. It might also help to imagine that if another person took one look at you and had the same judgment, how would that make you feel? The idea is not to be best friends with everyone you encounter, but rather to recognize that we are all born into the same earth milieu and are challenged in any number of ways to make our ascension. Some of us may have progressed along our evolutionary trajectory in a more accelerated fashion, perhaps in a vastly different direction, but we are all learning here and no one is perfect. Let us honor and respect the journey of all beings. On the planet. I know that we're pretty much all tired of this in the United States, but I'm going to touch on the election. Like you, I'm so happy it's over. All those text messages and emails about voting, all the rhetoric, you know, I had to tune that out because I have realized if we should ever wonder how a country could elect such a leader. We need look no further than its people. Our leaders reflect the embodiment of an energy, of a consensus energy in our midst. And we may not agree with it. We may not embody that belief ourselves, but it is indeed present in a great many souls, in a great many constituents, if you will. 
And I believe any dense energy that must be transmuted, any false belief, must rise to the surface and be seen. It's only then that it allows us to move forward from it, to transform it, to realize that it no longer serves us. So there is no right or wrong president or prime minister or instilled authority. It is a reflection of the energy residing in the people of that country. And it is standing to show us what is the need of transformation. Now, speaking of transformations, the earth is going through a magnificent transformation. And there's magnificent shift that has really culminated on the solstice, on our, the winter solstice in the northern hemisphere. That was December 21st. And many have heard that we have entered this age of Aquarius. Many know that Aquarius is an air sign. Now, I'm not a big uh, astrologer or, or anything like that. But Aquarius is understood as an air sign of higher thought, of introspection, of perhaps more higher and conscious thought. How do we solve problems, not from that which they were created, but from a higher perspective, a different way? And this shift of energy on the planet, this solstice into this age of Aquarius is, is also termed a more enlightened phase of, of, of the earth, of beingness. As we have made a collective decision, even if it may not feel like a majority decision or even a conscious decision of many, but we have made a decision to ascend consciously, to awaken consciously. So there are many people having conscious awakenings. I had one in 2012. Many people have awakened in this period and were in fact born for this moment. We didn't realize this when we were babies, when we were born, but we are on this planet to see this shift, to be a part of the shift, to raise our own energetic vibration and that of the planet. And the earth, you know, it is its own entity and it has this colossal power, this energetic grid that is in shift, that is in motion, shifting to a, a, a planet of higher awareness. This new earth, if you will, is a new perception, a new conscious awakening, a new energy of enlightenment on the planet that we will no longer have to fight these dense energetic constructs of time, money, of race and religion, that we are looking at them now. They're rising up now to be transformed, to be transmuted into higher frequency energies of awareness and perception. 2021 promises to be a higher energetic earth environment for all of us. But in the process of integrating this higher frequency energy, we will see for the last time these dense constructs that no longer serve us so we can finally release them in our hearts and our minds and our souls. And this is designed to move us forward into less dense ideologies of thoughts and form that we can manifest freely and live truly empowered lives. All that has happened in preparation for this energetic shift has been necessary and has been by design. Let us embrace this moving forward, knowing that these moments too shall pass, that we are transitioning into a new, higher frequency existence in the years to come. Thanks for listening to the Be Conscious Podcast with author, TEDx international speaker, and conscious coach, Dr. Susan Nicholas. 
Be sure to connect with her to stay up to date with her latest news and works. Learn more about her conscious speaking platform at susannicholas.org slash speaking. Stay tuned for the next thought-provoking episode. And whether you are coming or going, looking inside or out, remember to be conscious. Be conscious.